We have to stop worrying about ourselves so much and our opinions and our things and have to start worrying about God's opinions and God's things. We have to be less about us, more about others, and all about God. From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens. Pastor Clay and his wife Cindy are on vacation. With today's message, here's our student ministries pastor, Ivy Rhodes. Yesterday, my daughter found a little light up, a silly little Dollar Tree light up Christmas tree in my car, and she was playing with it. And my son decided that it, though she found it, though she was playing with it, it was his, right? And so he's like, mine, I want it, give it, give it, give it. Well, I fight that too, and I fight it as an adult in a little bit different way. I, I want other things, and I'm a pretty selfish person. I think in general, kind of in society, we can agree that we're all a little bit selfish. And I, I, I think it's always funny. Um, you get on Facebook and everybody these days, or a lot of people, maybe I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people these days are um, trying to create their own brand. They have their own Twitter, Twitter. And how many Twitter followers can I get? Or Instagram, how many Instagram followers can I get to look at my pictures or friends on Facebook? And so you, you get this feeling of, ah, and then you put up these posts, and I'm guilty of this, and you, you guys know it. You put up these posts about whatever's going on, about the hamburger you're eating or whatever else. And, oh, I know, speaking of selfish, um, I haven't taken my daily selfie yet. Would you guys, um, I take a picture of myself every day so that by the end of my life I can, you know, watch myself age, you know? Some days I take like three or four pictures of myself. All right, y'all get in the picture. Who's going to do the duck face? Who knows what a duck face is? Okay, somebody do that. Okay, here we go. We're going. Here we go. And smile. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Put that right in there. Um, So if you look at my Facebook, too, you'll see that I have opinions. And when people post things, I like to talk back. And they, whether, you know, they down God or whatever. I have opinions about things and not just about God. It could be about video games or sports or whatever. I have my opinions. And my opinions are the right ones. Do you know why? Because they're mine, right? And, and you're the same way, I'm sure. We're all the same way. We believe our opinions are the right ones because, well, they're ours. And you might have heard it said before, and I've heard it said, that opinions are like armpits. Everybody has them and they all stink, Right? Because my opinion is the right one. Yesterday, you saw maybe I posted that I experienced my illustration for this morning. So I'm going to give that to you now. Last week, Pastor Clay talked about being at the Crabtree Mall and burning through a red light and all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, this week, that that must be a dangerous place, okay, for pastors to go and that the Lord really, I don't know, Satan really attacks you at the Crabtree Mall or something. I was going to um, Best Buy. And I was uh, getting something for my computer. And so I pull in, and the traffic's crazy there. And so I'm pulling, I kind of, vroom, kind of shoot through into the entrance of Best Buy. And right when I come around the corner, there's a woman sitting in her car, just like right there. Just stopped, like right at, and I was afraid I was going to hit her. And so what I do is I decide, okay, either slam on brakes right here at the entrance and get hit in the rear, or hit her, or... There's a parking space right there. Hmm, I'll just shoot into the parking space. So I go in my, my, little, my like, little Toyota, come in and just turn that wheel, boom, right into that parking space. And I see another woman outside of the car go like this. 
And I think, I bet you she was trying to get that parking spot. So I prepare myself a little bit. I breathe in. I say, okay, let's get out and face this. And I was, honestly, the truth is, I didn't care. It's just, really, I didn't. It wasn't even that close of a parking spot. Anyway, and so it wasn't close enough to get over and fight over. And I was just sure I was going to get out this car, and this lady was going to come up to me and bless me. I get out, I close the door, I look around, and nobody says anything to me. I was like, good. Maybe she wasn't trying to get in that parking spot. Maybe I was wrong about that. I walk to Best Buy, and I come out. I'm getting in my car, and I hear somebody yell across the parking lot, excuse me, sir. I was like, oh, boy, here it comes. <clears throat> I, I lied to you not. She had a pit bull on a rope, and this pit bull was bouncing on his back legs. He wasn't growling or anything, but I think she was trying to intimidate me much. And so she says, excuse me, sir. And she has this thing. I go, yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. I mean, I didn't say sir. I said, ma'am. Said, yes, ma'am. And she, she just lays out. I mean, any word you can think of, she called me over a parking spot. She's like, you don't know what I had to do today. I was like, I'm sorry. I said, I was trying to be as nice as possible. I was thinking, you know, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I was like, yes, ma'am. I'm so sorry. I said, I will move for you right now. She's like, I'm done. And so she she leaves, she's cussing me all the way and all this stuff. And so I think, man, over a parking spot. And you know why she thought she was entitled to that parking spot? Because it was hers. Was her name on it? No. Do you know why I thought I was entitled to that parking spot? Because it was mine. We neither of us understood each other's position. We were both kind of selfish in our way of thinking that, you know, I had my reasons for why I should have been in that parking spot. I'm sure she had her good reasons why she should have been in that parking spot. And we fought over it. But here's the truth. There's only one truth. And it's a silly example of a parking spot. But in in life, there's really only one truth. There can't be multiple truths. Two opposing views cannot work together. They cannot both be correct. Now, as I moved to North Carolina, I figured something out. There's There's a difference in South Carolina barbecue and North Carolina barbecue. Okay, I'm from South Carolina, if you don't know. And so, at least what we eat down uh, on the coast. And so, <clears throat> I've met people in both camps. The South, North Carolina, what I would consider, what I've seen at least, vinegar barbecue, those people. And then, from where I'm from, the South Carolina mustard barbecue. I mean, North Carolina vinegar barbecue, South Carolina mustard barbecue. And both of those camps be, cannot be correct. There is a right barbecue. Of course, it's mustard-based South Carolina barbecue is the correct barbecue. I know, I have a scripture to read for you about that right now. I'm just kidding. How about chocolate and vanilla? We all have opinions. People say, vanilla's the best. Chocolate's the best. It's all about chocolate. A lot of ladies uh, prefer chocolate. And a lot of guys, I don't know. I I meet guys like, I want vanilla. And the way I think about vanilla is just, to me, it's plain. But I've met people that if I say vanilla is plain, they get all mad at me. But we know that neither of those things are correct. It's really cookies and cream that's the right ice cream, right? Somewhere in between. We can't even agree about how we speak the same language. Because the way I say it is better than the way you say it. My wife, wherever she is, she's hiding. Anyway, my wife, she she says, eggs. I don't know what eggs are. But in the morning, she cooks them. I say eggs. And she says, would you like some eggs, honey? And I say, no, but I'd like some eggs. You ever met somebody who can't say the word milk right? Is it milk, milk, or milk? 
We all think that our way to say it, our way to do it, our way to think about it is the right way. But the truth is, is that there is only one right way today. And if we're going to be the church, we have to stop worrying about ourselves so much in our opinions and our things and have to start worrying about God's opinions and God's things. We have to be less about us, more about others, and all about God. If you have your Bible, just open it up to Ephesians chapter 4 today. If you haven't done that already, we're going to read in the Word of God. You can do it in your um, phone or your tablet or your paper Bible. Either one will work. Any of them will work. This is Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, I... The prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, excuse me, and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which brings us to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We have to be less about us, more about others, all about God. First point today, you might want to write down, God's church is unified. See, Jesus told his disciples, go out. And make more disciples. He told Peter that my church will be built on you, through you. Jesus was the commissioner of the church. But he never said being the church was going to be easy. Because if there's anything that's true, whenever you get a group of people together to work together to complete a mission, you're going to have people that have different opinions, right? You're going to have people that have different things to say. And, and we're, we're going to have the tendency to be divisive because we want our way done. And we think that the church should happen in our way, whatever that way is, my way, your way, somebody else's way, whatever. We think the church should be done in that way. And the truth is, is that's not the truth. 
There is really only one church, and the church should be done in Jesus Christ's way. And Paul says this, because he was dealing with people kind of at people's throats. He writes Corinthians, he says, Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. You see, the church requires cooperation and unity. If there's not cooperation and unity and we're not working together and moving forward together to complete the mission of God, then we're not really the church. We're a bunch of individuals doing something for God, I suppose, but that's not what God ever intended. There's a reason that he put us together and wants us to be in unity. See, the church is God's visible mission carried out through different people in different places and different points in life with different abilities. But unity isn't easy. I heard on the radio yesterday that no one cares for you more than you do. And that's true, I guess. But maybe we should flip that and start caring for others more than we care about ourselves. Because we think it's all about us, but it's not. We have to put ourselves aside. So Paul gives us some, um, here in Ephesians, Paul gives us a list of attributes that are required for unity. And all of them require maturity. We're going to talk about that a little more in just a second. Unity requires, if we're going to be unified, we're going to be a unified church that works together for the mission of God. Unity requires humility. Humility is putting Christ first, others second, and ourselves last. It's saying, my preferences aren't what matter the most. What matters the most is bringing people to Christ. It's about putting ourselves underneath others in Christ. Also, unity requires gentleness. Gentleness is power under control. I imagine, I don't have to imagine because I was there. And if you've, fathers, if you've had a child, you know what I'm talking about. When the child first comes out of the womb, they'll hand the baby off to you and you'll be holding that child in your arms. This child that barely weighs eight pounds, might be less, might be a little more. You're holding this child and you're, all your love is just, focused on that child. And I remember when it happened for the first time with my daughter, Maggie, just, I was overcome with emotion. And I sat there and I put my hand on her head and rubbed her head and was gentle with her. Now, the truth is I have the power to take that child's life at that moment, but I don't because I love her or I love him. And I want that child to live. I want to be a father And God does the same thing with us. At any moment, he could take our lives today, but he doesn't because he has a plan for us and a purpose for why we are alive. Gentleness is required in unity. It's saying, I may have this power, I may have the ability to do it, but I'm gonna hold back because of love and unity. Also, unity requires patience. This is our ability to put up with the junk of other people. If you're a camp with us this week, you'll realize that patience is, is a virtue that is needed for anybody that's going to be at camp. There were moments at, during camp where students would just get fed up with each other. You know, they loved each other and later they'd hug it out, whatever. But it's just a moment where you just get fed up and you, boom, you explode. You know, I explode. I, I scream at one of them or whatever happens because they're doing something stupid. But patience is the ability to put up with the junk of other people. And we should be people, patient with other people because we need to realize 
People have to be patient with us. People have to be patient with me. I'm going to say really dumb things. And I'm going to do some dumb things. But you are too. Be patient. I've found that the most impatient people are the ones that require the most patience from everybody else. You ever met that person? Yeah. It's no, uh, no fun. But just when you get in that situation, uh, what you can name that person is, we, may, we named them um, EGRs, Extra Grace Required. You get, in that, you get in that situation with that person that's just like, just hard to put up with, hard to deal with, just not an easy person to like. And just realize that God is molding you. He's making you in to the man or woman that you're supposed to be and teaching you patience and teaching you unity in that situation. But also, in verse two, it tells us that we have to accept each other in love. That doesn't mean accepting everything that everyone does. It doesn't mean that everything is good. And when someone does something wrong, it doesn't mean that you say, oh, that's just okay, I'm accepting them in love. No, that means that regardless of what people do, we respect them as people and we treat them as Christ would. But if a fellow believer is stuck in sin and in a place where they need help, we don't just leave them there. We help them through it. But we don't tear them down. We don't kick them when they're down because if we start doing that, people aren't gonna trust us. Jesus said, how will they know us? They will know us by our love that we have for one another. It's a shame when you walk into a church, and I don't mean this church, I've I've been in churches like this though, where people get hurt, and the first thing that happens, and people do something, they mess up, and they mess up bad, I'm talking about bad. And rather than bringing them back and trying to help them, the church hurts. We don't accept what they do, but we try to bring them back. Love means we sit down and figure out how to help them out of the bondage that they're in. You notice that the qualities that Paul talks about here, all qualities that Christ exhibited while he was here on earth. He showed humility in becoming one of us. You realize he was in heaven. Everything was perfect. And he came down to earth to be one of us. If you think, I always kind of think of it this way. If you think like the, just the, think like a cockroach or something to think that you would come down to a cockroach to become a cockroach. No, I wouldn't do that. This is even more so. The difference is, is he loved us so much. You don't love a cockroach, right? But Jesus loved us so much that he said, I'm going to become one of them. I'm going to humble myself and become one of those. It says in Philippians 2.8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ exhibited humility. But he also showed gentleness. Because like I said, at any moment, God could strike us dead and make us a little greasy spot on the ground. But he doesn't. He could have smoked the whole world, but he holds back and shows gentleness and allows for salvation with him. He showed patience by dealing with those stupid disciples. Stupid disciples. I don't know if you're like me, but every once in a while you're like, man, I am just like those stupid disciples. Thank you, Jesus, that you have patience on me. And he accepted us in love by dying on a cross. He saved us and didn't leave us where we were, but he changes us and he changed us and he says, go and sin no more. Aren't you glad Christ was humble, gentle, patient, and loving with you? Because I am, because I need it. We have to be united without inside fighting because we have a mission. We have to tell the world about Jesus. And a church divided just doesn't make sense because if we're going to complete this mission that God has given us, that he gave us in the Great Commission, and he said, go out and make disciples. If we're going to go out and make disciples and we're gonna do that, 
then we have to be united. There is no church without it. We've not been placed on this earth to serve ourselves, but to worship and serve our creator. And when we realize that we've been placed here to worship and serve our creator and serve others around us, our perspective changes. We stop caring so much about the stupid little worries and start caring about God's mission and where, where we are and why God's placed us there. There's a difference between unity and uniformity. Understand, unity is, is not uniformity. Unity comes from within in a spiritual grace. It's me saying that, you know what, I love you, so I'm not going to be proud or vicious. But I'm going to exhibit patience and accept you in love. That's unity. It comes from within ourselves. But uniformity is the pressure from without. It's the pressure saying, you be this way and you do this. And we're not talking about that. And God never intended for that. In fact, God is happy with unity through diversity. Because number two, God's way of doing things is diverse. The way that he completes his mission and the way he does it, he does it through diversity. And in this room, we have a diverse group. And I don't mean in race, because who cares? What I mean is we have a diverse group in abilities. We have a diverse group in what we can do together. And God completes his mission through our differences. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 11, verse, uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. And he gave some to be apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by the trickery of men, or by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceit and scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. He gave different skills to different people. And these different skills shouldn't bump heads, but should work together. Each person is giving something um, that kind of shows who God is. And everyone gets in on it. This is out of the message. It says, everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But Paul mentions specific types of gifts. And if we look at what these gifts are, they all have to do with bringing the word of God to the people. He mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You see, God uses proclaimers of the word to give the church laser focus. It's what helps us uh, in unity. We don't just all come in. We're not Quakers where we all come in and sit around until somebody gets a word from God, stands up because they have a quiver in their liver and just speaks. Because if we had that, we'd have all kinds of different things going on. God has placed um, Pastor Clay in this church to guide this church and give it laser focus because the mission of God is so important that if we aren't trying to complete it with laser focus, it's not going to get done. God uses his proclaimers and your pastor, our pastor, is the focuser of that mission. I talked about camera earlier. And if you have your camera, you know how it works. You pick up your camera and you, you look at something. So let's say I was going to 
take a picture here of John's wonderful guitar. I'm looking at it, and oh man, for some reason it's focusing on this mic stand back here. You ever had that happen? And whatever you're trying to look at is is blurry. You're like, ah. So what do you do if you want to fix that problem on a on a phone? Hey, y'all know you touch where you want it to focus, right? Say, I want it to focus on that guitar. And it focuses on the car. You see it kind of move in and out. It figures out where it's going and it focuses. And every once in a while, if I'm taking a picture of people's faces, it'll put a little green box around the faces. And it'll say, my phone, without speaking, is basically saying to me, I suggest that you focus on these faces. But I have the ability to say, no, I don't want to focus on those faces. I want to focus on the background. I want to make them blurry. I have the ability to tell this phone where to focus. And when Pastor Clay gets up in front of us and he, he, gives, he gives the mission and he gives, he gives where the church is going and he leads this church, he comes up and he says, this is where we're focusing. Boom. And he touches it. And it comes into focus. And as, his, as God's church, following our pastor, our shepherd, we see where the focus is and we go there. And we do it. Now, does that mean that uh, you aren't active in the church. Does that mean that you don't have a say in, in the things that happen? Absolutely not. You're kind of like that green box that I mentioned earlier. You can say things like, what about this? What about this face here? Should we focus on this? And then Pastor Clay could come along, along and say, nope, that's not what we're focused on. We're focused on that. And he touches it. And then you know what you're supposed to say? All right, let's do it. God's placed uh, Pastor Clay here and other pastors who are the head of churches. He's placed them there so that the church can be focused. But I suggest you ask questions and you work through where we're going and you ask Pastor Clay, you know, what's, what's, where am I supposed to be? But Pastor Clay has put people in leadership in the church and I have, I have the uh, privilege to lead our uh, youth ministry. And we have other leaders like John in the worship ministry, Coral in the kids ministry, and Bill work in the small groups, uh, head of the small groups ministry. That Pastor Clay has said, these are people that are specifically here. And if you need someplace to go, I can tell you, we can use you. We can use you. But when you come to us and you say, okay, I want to get involved. Ivy, get me involved in the youth ministry. All right, let's do it. What do you need me to do? Well, I need to use your house for small groups. Ooh, yeah, about that. <laughs> Lost my mic there, sorry about that. About that. Yeah, I just, I just don't know if that's gonna work. I'd rather, I'd rather teach the lessons. And I, well, that's not really what I need. Or, John, I wanna get involved in the worship ministry. Well, you know what I need? I need people to help us set up on, on Sunday mornings. Ooh, yeah. I was kind of wanting to be a soloist. John says, no, uh, really, maybe in the future that'll come about, but really right now we need people to help us set up. You know what you say when that happens? Okay, because God's given these people to be focusers of the mission, the word bringers. And if we don't have word, people that bring the word to us, we'll be immature and driven to all kinds of weird doctrines. And when Pastor Clay focuses us, he helps us mature, giving us proper doctrine. And it leads to proper action. And you might be somebody that says, I just, I just don't like doctrine. Just, just give me the way to live the Christian life. Just tell me how it works. In my experience, if you're, if you're a person that says that and you just want to know how it works, but you don't care what it is behind it, that's where you're going to fail. Because doctrine tells you what you really believe. 
And if you only know the, and, and if you only stick and do the things that you truly believe. If you don't know what you believe in those areas, those are the areas that you're going to end up breaking in. Those are the areas that Satan will end up attacking you in the most. Because if you don't know what you believe, that's where you're the weakest. Satan likes to attack you where you're the weakest. This week, on the, or last week, on the last day of camp, on Friday, I was extremely tired. We had had a great week of camp. People had gotten saved. Lives were being changed. And it was four from our group, but more people were saved from other groups. And those that already knew Christ, I think, were moved closer to him. God was doing great things. But on that last day, I was really tired. And Satan used that to attack me. I got in the van, thought, our rental van, and thought that there was no, no car behind me. And I backed up like there was no car behind me. You know that feeling you get? When you say, oh man, maybe there's something behind me. And you kind of like hesitate for a second. You know that feeling? I didn't get it at all. I thought thought it was clear, man. And all of a sudden I feel, boom. And we hit that, my personal van. We hit my van so hard. I was like, I I mean, I was blown away by it. And Satan was trying to use that to wreck this experience that we had. On the way home, I'm driving. And I'm wanting to get home, uh, and I really wasn't speeding. I was going about 76 in a 70-mile-an-hour place on 95. I don't think that's too fast when people usually go about 85 on 95. Um, And so I'm driving down the road and just trying to keep up with traffic, and blue lights come on behind me. This is right after I've wrecked the van and everything. Blue lights come on behind me. I'm like, oh, God, what are you trying to teach me here? I think he's trying to teach me patience, honestly. I pull off to the side of the road. I'm like, I look at all the, because I've been with teenagers in stops before, and they like to say dumb things in the back of the seat. I turn around, I was like, don't say a word. <laughs> and I, I had said it about three times. Put my hands up on the wheel, and he comes up. I've rolled down the window, have all my stuff together, ready to give to him. He comes up, he's like, Eddie, soldier. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. He says, what you doing? Like, well, we just came back from summer camp. Like, mm-hmm. He looks back in the car, and I think he stuck his head in and smelled. <laughs> He's like, wow, they really have come back from summer camp. Six other guys sitting behind me in the back of this minivan. He looks at me, pats me on the shoulder, and says, good luck, and walks off. <laughs> I'm not, that is a true story. You can ask any of the students who are in that car. And he walks off, and I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know what, Satan tries to attack us when we're at our weakest. And if we, if we believe, if, we're, if we just want to say, I just want to live the Christian life. I don't care. Just tell me how to do it. But we don't know what we believe. That's where we're going to break. And that's where we're going to bend. And that's where we'll be vulnerable. See, because it's easy just to go where the crowd goes. If, if culture tells us that homosexuality is okay and homosexual marriage is okay, you know what's easy to do when I get on Facebook? Is just to say, yeah, it's fine. But when I, have a tr- when I have the truth of the word of God that says it's not fine, even when culture goes this way, I say, no, I believe what the Bible says. But if I don't understand what the Bible says and I just want to live the Christian life and I don't know the doctrines, then I just go with the culture. When culture says, no, it's fine to have an abortion. It's fine. They're not people anyway. Oh yeah, it's easy to go that way. But when I look at scripture, and I see that it's not fine. It helps me stand strong. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, 
reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Today, I was sitting right there with my son, Quentin, and John uh, comes up to us. We're talking, and Quentin's kind of grumpy because he's been up since about 6 o'clock. I don't know why he woke up at 6, but he did. And he's kind of grumpy, whatever. And John comes over and says, give me five. And Quentin's like, no, I don't want you five. He's like, you can do better than that. Quentin's like, Argh. and then he just you know, lays there again. And John looks at him and says, I'm about where you are right now, bud. But you know what the difference between John and Quentin is? John's not a child, right? John got up here and led worship. But half the time we live our lives thinking that we can just be that way in our thinking, in our minds, in the way we act. Just whatever I feel like. I'm going to lay here because it's what I feel like doing. That's not why. That's not what we're supposed to do. In 1 Corinthians, it tells us, put that away. You can't think like a child. You can't, have, you can't reason like a child. You know why? Because you're not a child. You're a man. You're a woman. And do away with childish things. Ed Stetzer says this. He says, we must realize that believing what the Bible says is will increasingly put us at odds with our culture. Pressure will continue to mount to accept a worldview rooted in cultural acceptance rather than biblical revelation. And we must prepare ourselves for the day when acceptance will not be enough. Affirmation may be demanded to be a part of society. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be able to say that this might be what society says, this might be what culture says, but this is what the word of God says, and I'm going with the word of God. The world is gonna be the world, and we have to change their hearts before we change their minds. But as believers, we should not be standing on the things that the Bible clearly calls sin. But whatever we do, we correct in love. We correct in love. Kids are brutally honest, right? They come up to you and they go, man, you're fat. Like, what? Or, man, you smell bad. And you're like, come on, kid. Come on. Ever going down a grocery aisle and obviously uh, something, somebody doesn't smell good or something doesn't smell good? And the kid's like, ooh, what's that smell? You ever said that? That's happened. And you're like, shh. They're brutally honest. But then you get to a point where maybe when you're a little bit older, you realize that after mom and dad have gone shh enough times, you realize that you just keep your mouth shut. And someone hasn't taken a bath at camp in three days. And everybody just is quiet about it and doesn't say a word. When somebody really should go up to that person and in love say, take a bath, right? Take a shower. I'm not mentioning any names. And I don't want anybody mentioning any names either. All right. Hey, I... I, uh, I will say that speaking the truth is hard to do. But truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. Little children do not know how to blend truth and love. They think that if they love someone, you must shield them from truth if knowing the truth will hurt them. It is a mark of maturity when we are able to share the truth with our fellow Christians and do it in love. Warren Wearsby. Proverbs 27.6 says this, The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. When someone comes to you in love, a friend comes to you in love and says, this is where you're not going with the Bible, and you trust them, and you both love each other, and you're working together in unity, when that happens, the Bible says that the wounds of a friend are trustworthy. It brings us back and helps us understand where we're wrong. But the kisses of an enemy are excessive. So why is it important that we have unity? 
Why is it important for us to share, share and have this laser focus? It's because number three, God's mission is shared. We can't share God's mission if we're at each other's throats all the time or unfocused. Paul used one of my favorite illustrations of the church. Or, uh, I just love this illustration. He uses it several times in the Bible. That the church is an actual body. He compares it to the body parts that work together to complete the mission of God. And God says that we are many parts that work together like one body. <clears throat> this comes out of 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 27. For as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body through many are one body, so also is Christ. Now you, meaning us, the church, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. You think of an Olymp- I, I, think, I think Olympic swimming is incredible and I think it's because I'm not that great of a swimmer. I get by, I don't drown, but I'm not a really good swimmer, not really fast or anything. And I watch those guys swim, and man, they're swimming so fast that the dudes walking down the side of the pool are like walking in a fat, you know, like they're like really walking. That was for you, Travis. I really wanted to go fast, so you had to keep up with me. Um, on the camera in the back. So, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're moving in that water, and they're swimming through water. Every part of their body has to be moving. Every part of their body has to be working properly. From the feet to the legs to the torso to the, to the lungs and the arms and the hands, they all work together to get this thing done. And that's what we are. Each of us, and you've heard it before, but each of us are a different part of the body of Christ. And each of us have different skills. The hand doesn't try to be a lung because it's not going to work. But that's what ends up happening sometimes. We get in the wrong place, in the wrong point, and we want to be something that God has not intended us for us intended for us to be doesn't work right and if we're not breathing in the right time and doing our strokes right and kicking our legs in the right way we're not going to win the race but i'll tell you this and pay attention to this you don't hear anything else today god will not lose god's will is going to prevail so if call god has called you to be an arm in the church and you're not completing the job of the arm in the church, he's going to find a new arm to do the job. And you don't want to be discarded in the will of God. I can't think of anything worse than being discarded and put aside because we are not willing to put ourselves aside for God. The church must work together in its mission because it's the church's mission, but also because it's your mission. You carry the great commission. You carry the great commission on your shoulders. Together, it's God's church we carry. But sometimes we can think, oh, the church, it's the church's job. No, yes, but no. You are the church. You're the body. You're the people. You complete it. And at the point of salvation, we were given gifts by the Holy Spirit to aid in the completion of God's mission. And you can find those in different sections of the Bible. We're not going to go through them today. We don't have time. But you were also given natural abilities And you should leverage those abilities for the glory of God. Some of you are good in business. Others are good in art. Others in music, construction. Maybe you're good with your hands or or whatever it is. God has given you these things, some from birth and some at salvation or rebirth, that are to be used to complete God's work here on earth. And unity means that we put ourselves last. Because it's not about what we like. It's not about the music at church. It's not about the building. It's not about the staff. But we're supposed to come Not to be served, but we're supposed to come looking to serve. We come to church looking to serve. Selfish living seems to be what would make us the most satisfied in life. That if I live for myself and I please myself, that I will be most satisfied. 
But I have found over and over again, talking to people and in my own life, that selfish living leads to despair. Selfish living leads to being incomplete. Selfless living gives us and others real life because it's not about you and it's not about me, but it's about God. We have to get together as God's church. We have to be about the business of working together to bring Raleigh to Christ. That's why we're here. If you're not being used in cross-culture and you have abilities that can be leveraged to make a difference in God's kingdom, what are you doing? You're sitting there. What in the world? God wants to use you. God has great plans for you. And today you can be used by God. Today we need to decide that we're going to be proactive in getting God's mission complete. Because God has placed us in Raleigh for a reason. God has placed you in Raleigh for a reason. Or any of the surrounding areas for a reason. God has placed your church here in Leesville High for a reason. Are we going to be following our leaders? Are we going to be checking our doctrine? Use the people I mentioned earlier that God has placed in leadership in this church. Use us. Bug us. We shouldn't have to bug you. Please help me. Please. You should be going, where can I help? What can I do? And then we'll say, here. And you say, okay. And you do it. We're here to equip you. And we want to equip you in the work of God. We want to focus you and move us forward to taking Raleigh by storm. As we talked about this past week in camp, wouldn't it be incredible for someone to say of cross-culture church, these are the people that have turned the world upside down because we were willing to be laser-focused and complete God's mission. Thanks, Ivy. Pastor Clay is back next week. Our series, Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise, continues, and we hope you'll be with us. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water. I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.